for those who are joining us online. We miss you in person, but we sense the Spirit of God is with you, and I pray that you're being ministered to right now in your living room or your camper or gathered with family, that you would know that God is with you, that He's for you. And uh, for those who are here in the meadow, praise God for some nice weather. We have a tent in the back, so if you need shade, you can go back there today. There's a wedding later this evening, so praise God. You know, it's so important for us as Christians to gather regularly together. Um, as it says in Hebrews, not to forsake the gathering of one another. And I think, you know, it's, God has made it possible for us to worship anywhere. He doesn't want just one hour of our worship. He doesn't want just one hour of our love and our passion for Him. He wants all of us. <laughs> he wants every aspect of who we are because He made us. He created us to be in a relationship with Him. And I, it wouldn't be fair if I told my wife, I'm only going to give you one hour a week, right? <laughs> she would have a problem with that. She wants all of me. I want all of her. Good relationships require our heart, our passion. And, and God is doing that, not just on Sunday mornings, but every moment of every day that we are alive. He's inviting us into relationship to experience Him. And He doesn't just want a token uh, from us. He wants our love. The greatest command is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our strength. Everything we have, that is what God is inviting us to. But we need regular reminders because we get distracted. We get off track. The cobwebs come up in our minds and our hearts and we begin to give our passion, our love, our attention, our trust to other things. And so we need this reminder that as we just saying that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And if we really believe that, brothers and sisters, we're going to be rooted in a world that's being tossed and turned and swept away. We will be rooted in something that will last forever. Would you join me in praying this morning? Lord, we thank you for your presence. Our hearts are so full of joy because we know that you're not a God of judgment only. You're also a God of mercy. And because you're a God of mercy, you bring about goodness into our lives. And instead of wrath, you provide grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. And I pray that God, every heart would be opened, every eye would see, and every mind would comprehend and understand the love of God and the glory of God and the goodness of God. But that God, we would pay attention to your word because you warn us like a father who warns his son, his daughter, that if we get off track, if we put our trust in other things, if we give our hearts to other things, if we allow our flesh to rule where we be, become angry and bitter and envious and lustful and greedy, that, Lord, we need to bring these things before you. We need to confess them. We need to get them off our chest when we become prideful, when we look down on others or we blame others or we accuse others. Lord, we need to confess our sin. And Jesus, you said that you are faithful and just to forgive those who confess. And so God, we come this morning aware of the seriousness of our brokenness, the seriousness of our sin. But we come this morning because we believe that you have intervened and you've brought about something new 
forgiveness, <laughs> grace. And God, you're inviting us to come with open hearts and to receive the Holy Spirit. You say that you have poured out your spirit on all people, every woman, child, man, Every person has access to the creator of the universe and the Holy Spirit. And you pour out love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. God, may this be the mark of our lives. May we reflect your light, your grace, your power, and your truth. So God, this morning we give attention to you. We put aside every distraction. We resist the evil one and his lies and his deception. And we say yes to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Isaiah is an amazing gift to us. And I think particularly in this time as I have um, thought about the reality of our day and thought about human history, you know, uh, sometimes we can think we're exceptional, but I think there's something so common about the human experience, whether it was 5,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, or in present day, there's a, there's a common thread to the human experience and, and suffering, hardship, uncertainty, uh, not knowing what's going to happen in the future is a common thing. And, and I think in Isaiah's day, they had all those things. There was political, economic forces at work that were causing a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty. Israel was being invaded by Assyria because they had chosen to trust in Assyria. They made an alliance, a political alliance, instead of trusting God. And God said, the very thing that you thought would save you is actually going to destroy you. How true isn't that for our lives? <laughs> the things we think are going to help us actually harm us. And God is all along faithful. And so he tells Israel, this is going to happen, but I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to deliver you. And he gives us some examples Isaiah himself is an example as a man who, as a prophet, could have felt pretty good about speaking judgment on other people, but he gets before God and he's not blaming other people. He's saying, man, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Have mercy on me. He, he recognizes his own sinfulness as he comes into the holy presence of God and that God, instead of destroying him or punishing him, gives him grace, gives him forgiveness, gives him mercy, and his, his sins are cleansed, and, and he says, send me, send me. And so he becomes a servant of God. And we have Hezekiah that Bill shared about last week, and Hezekiah also turns to the Lord just like Isaiah. But then we have examples like Ahaz in the story who chose not to trust God, who chose to turn from God and to lift up his fist against God. And so just like today, in Isaiah's day, people were at a crossroad. The nation of Israel was at a crossroad. And by the way, Isaiah is not just for the nation of Israel. Even though much of it is spoken directly to Israel, it's addressed to all nations. And the promises that God gives to Israel, he says one day will be given to all people through the servant of the Lord. And that's where we're going to be today in Isaiah chapter 42. And I'm going to uh, just go verse by verse through Isaiah 42 verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up there. You can look on your phones. And uh, we're going to go through this. And I think God's plan is marvelous. And he was revealing this to Isaiah. And I think it's just as true for us today is that God's plan is surprising. We couldn't see it coming. 
And God's ways aren't our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so we have to be humble to understand God's plan. We have to kind of give up our way. And it's interesting, you know, as people, we like to be right. Who likes to be right? <laughs> I like to be right. We all like to be right. Uh, and we hate being wrong. We hate it. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It, it, we don't, I, hate, I don't like that feeling of being wrong. And so we like to be right, and we, we, we strive to be right in every way of our lives. But the problem, and Israel had this problem, is by being right or trying to be right, they ended up hurting other people. And if you go to Isaiah chapter 1, you see that because they wanted to be right, they ended up hurting other people, and they caused great harm and great injustice in their society. I think this is true in our marriage. <laughs> I think this is true in our families with parenting. This is true in our neighborhoods. This is true as a nation. And this is true in the world. When we say we're right and we bring condemnation and we bring blame on others, what's the result? Fractured relationships. We see it all the time. You who are married, you know this. <laughs> when you try to be right and you try to help your spouse see that you're right, how does it go? <laughs> doesn't go so great. There's fractured relationships. And so this is the human condition. We want to be right. We want fair. And so we see the world only through our perspective. And so Isaiah is an invitation to give up our right, our rights, and to turn to God because God is the center of the universe. He is the only one who is right. He is the only one who can truly judge fairly and correctly, because we're all skewed. We're selfish. We're sinful. And so Isaiah is this invitation to see things rightly. My, uh, my middle son, who's uh, uh, going into third grade, Ethan, he, uh, he likes to say, Dad, he'll, he'll come up with interesting uh, tidbits of information. I don't know where he gets them. And he'll always say, right, Dad? Right, Dad? For example, he'll say, Dad, did you know the daddy long leg is the most poisonous spider? And you say, right, Dad? Right, Dad? <laughs> I was like, what, where'd you get that information? I don't, I don't think that's true. Who are you listening to, by the way? But he's like, I'm right, Dad. It is the most poisonous spider. <laughs> and we can laugh about that because it's childish, but it's true for all of us. We, we want to be right, and we grab information, and we'll grab information that we think is right, and we'll say, I'm right. And we many times won't listen to others. And this human condition fractures, it destroys. So we can't solve it. It's unsolvable on our own. So God reveals in Isaiah a plan, a purpose to address the human condition, the prideful condition of saying that we are right and realizing that we need God. And so Isaiah 42, God introduces a servant. He says, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, and I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. <laughs> you see, God looks at the human condition. He looked at Israel's condition, and he looked at Isaiah's condition. He looked at Hezekiah's, and what we see over and over is instead of God destroying, he saves. He solves. He steps in, and he makes a difference in these people's lives, and he makes a difference in Israel, and he makes a difference in our lives. And so here's God's plan. He doesn't come through a political party, or through a kingship, or through an army, 
or some other way through a philosophy or a university. He says, here is my servant. Now, I want you to think about that. That is surprising. That is shocking. You know, so many people didn't recognize Jesus when he came into this world because they weren't expecting a servant. They were expecting a, a king with an army. They were expecting someone who was going to make things right, force the right way. But God says, here is my servant. That's different. That's surprising. What's interesting here is God's plan is being unfolded through a servant. But we see the Trinity here. As God is speaking, it's my chosen one in whom I delight. We see the beauty of the Trinity, the love, the delight in one another. We, we believe that God is a relational God. <laughs> Relationships matter because God is relational. He is three in one. One God, three persons. Never forget that. That is vital for our understanding of who God is because that means he is truly love. He's truly relational. In whom I delight and I will put my spirit on him. The spirit, the son, and the father. But look at what his purpose is. To bring justice. To bring what is right. To bring what is fair to a world that's fractured and divided. A world that is full of injustice. God says, I'm going to do something. I'm going to make a change in human history. And look at how he will do it. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. You see that word justice? Justice matters to God. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice. Again, three times on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope in his teaching. I believe with all my heart that Isaiah is prophesying the coming of Jesus Christ. Because later when Jesus was born and he began his ministry, he said specifically that these words were being fulfilled in him. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man and that he came to bring salvation to our world. That he, began, he came to bring, as it says in Isaiah, justice to our world. Now, it's really important to see that this isn't a defense of what we think justice should be or what we think is right. Who's the only one who can define what is right? God. <laughs> we see that over and over. And God goes about in a certain kind of way of bringing justice. Earlier this year, we went through the Sermon on the Mount. You guys remember that? <laughs> And we see the teachings of Jesus about the kingdom of God, how God will bring transformation to this world through human hearts. God is doing it. He is revealing it. And the Sermon on the Mount is the clearest plan of how God is going to do that in me and you. We wonder what, if you wonder what is God's will, read the Sermon on the Mount. It's clear. His purpose is plain. And what we see right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes out and it says he came to a gate in Matthew chapter 8 and there was a man sitting at the gate who was a leper. It's interesting, uh, I have a friend in, uh, in Minnesota who got the coronavirus, he and his wife and his kids, and uh, he told me, Ben, I don't read the Gospels the same anymore. And I said, why, why is that? He said, I know what it's like to be a leper now. <laughs> 
No one wants to be around me. Uh, people would bring food to my house, and they'd set it down, and they'd run from my house. They'd run away. <laughs> he said, I've never felt more isolated in my whole life. You see, in Jesus' day, and I think every time of history, there's been lepers. There's been people that we've avoided and not wanted to be around, that we've been scared of. And in Jesus' day, the lepers were the worst because it was so visible. When they had the disease, they would lose their body parts. It was scarring. It was ugly. It was painful. And the people were scared, frightened. And so the lepers had no way to work. And here's the issue that was so important to Jesus, is the lepers weren't allowed to worship in the temple. They were excluded. They were distanced. They were told, stay away. And Jesus, as he's coming down from the Sermon on the Mount, and as he's walking into that place of that gate, and that leper is sitting there, the leper cries out, if you're willing, Jesus, heal me. Restore me. Let me be whole again. And so he cried out to Jesus. And Jesus stopped for that leper. And he looked at him. And it's what Isaiah talked about. A bruised reed he will not break. And so as he stood before that leper, who I'm sure had asked many religious people to help him and had been probably denied over and over again and told that he could not come in to worship, that he could not be included, Jesus stopped and said, I am willing. <laughs> I am willing. I am willing. God is willing to save. He is willing to heal. He is willing to restore. He is the servant of the Lord. He is the servant of the Lord. But here's the most important thing that happens there. It says the leper reached out and Jesus sp spoke and said, you are well. You are made well. And instantly he was healed. But here's the most important part. Jesus touched the leper. Jesus touched the leper. You see, in Jewish law, the leper was unclean, and anyone who touched the leper would be made unclean. So no one wanted to touch the leper because then they would be unclean, and then they would be excluded, and they wouldn't be allowed to worship. They wouldn't be allowed in the community. They'd be isolated. But Jesus did something surprising. He knew, as a religious leader, the, the consequences of touching the leper was he wouldn't be allowed in. But Jesus wasn't anyone. <laughs> he is the servant of the Lord. He is God manifested in flesh. And he reached out and he touched the leper. And something powerful happened that day. The reverse of all of human history where we run away, we hide because of our shame and our guilt. Jesus reversed that flow. That flow of human history that was so marked by fear and suspicion and blaming and judging. Because the religious people in, in that day, they would say to a leper, it's your fault. You sinned. It's your fault that you're this way. But Jesus didn't do that. He looked at that leper and he touched it. And you see the river that flows this way, that Jesus reversed the flow. He reversed the curse. And instead of Jesus being made unclean, he made the unclean clean. He changed the story. He changed the human condition. Instead of being people who are unclean, Jesus began to make people clean. And he did it over and over and over again, not just with lepers, but a woman who was sleeping with other men. He did it with tax collectors, 
with zealots who believed that the only political solution was to fight with arms. He did it with all kinds of people, every kind of person. He reached out and he touched them. Isaiah prophesied this, that he would bring justice to earth. He would bring justice to the nations. He would change the human story from one of condemnation to salvation. Read with me. This is what the Lord says, verse 5. The creator of the heavens who stretches them out. Look up to the heavens. Look up. We live in a big universe. God did that. It says in Isaiah 40 that he is the one who brings out the starry hosts. He calls them forth each by name, one by one. He calls them. That's a big God. He stretches out the heavens and he spreads out the earth with all that springs from it. Look down at the grass. Did you do anything (laughs) to make that grass come into existence? Did you do anything to make these trees come into existence? I didn't. None of us did. It's a gift. Life is a gift. Look what it says. He who gives breath to its people, breathe in, breathe out. What did you do to bring about that breath? Nothing. God is the giver of life. He gives everything that's good. Everything we enjoy, everything we long for is found in him. He is the giver of life to those who walk in it. God is inviting us to life. Because if he can stretch out the heavens, if he can make this grass grow and these rocks exist and these trees grow, then he can give life to us. He can change our story. He can help us see what we're here for. What is the meaning of life? And this is what he says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I love this verse. (laughs) Because the way this world works is a lot of times we're saying, people, you have to get right. You have to work harder. You have to get on board. You have to understand the, the, the secret knowledge or the right information or the right things. And so we're always probing people, prodding people in our world. People are trying to figure out what's right, but we can't on our own. None of us can arrive to righteousness. The Bible is very clear that all have fallen short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. And many times religious people are the worst at this. Religious people can be the worst at this. We can condemn others and blame others and judge others. But Jesus shows us a different way. He says, I have called you in righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? It comes from God. (laughs) He is the giver of righteousness. He is the giver of what is right. He is the giver of justice. Not the way we see it. Not the way we want it to be. The way God says it is. Last week, Bill said, we believe in the authority of the word of God. But so few of us live as if it truly is authoritative. That's the dilemma. Will we submit to the authority of God? Will we trust his words? Or will we ignore God and just say, we're going to live our own way. We're going to do what we want. Or will we believe with all our hearts that righteousness comes from God? That he is the giver of righteousness and he calls us to live in that righteousness that he gives. And here's how he does it. I will take hold of your hand. Remember what Jesus did with that leper? He held his hand. I believe some of you here today don't believe that God could touch you. You think only other people get touched by God. But here's what I want you to hear from God's word today. He can touch you. 
doesn't matter how isolated you feel, how lonely you feel, how guilty you feel, how dirty you feel. God doesn't see that. He sees his righteousness. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he invites you to hold his hand, to take it. Because he will touch you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's available. He's reaching out to touch. I will hold your hand. And here's what I really want you guys to listen to today. I will keep you and I will make you. Can you say that with me? I will keep you and I will make you. Can you say that? Let's say it all together. I will keep you and I will make you. If you're online, you can put that in the chat on Facebook. I will keep you and I will make you. This is God's plan of bringing justice to the world. So many times we hurt other people because we don't know that we're loved and we're kept. We don't know we're loved and we're kept and because we're insecure and we're being tossed and turned by emotions and, and the desires in our own souls and our hearts and we're striving and we're working and we're, we're, we're trying to make a way in this world and what do we do? We, we run over people, we oppress, we hurt, we hate, we divide, we devour because we don't know we're kept. But the invitation of God is take my hand and know that you are loved, that you are kept. You are safe with me. The creator of the universe says, come, receive from me. I will keep you. I won't let go. There's assurance. There's security in God. That's why Jesus came. <laughs> he came so that we would know the heart of God and know that he, we are loved and know that we are secure, that we are kept in him. And if we are secure and kept, then we are free. <laughs> We're no longer insecure, trying to strive and make our way and be better than others. We are free to be safe in him. We don't need the approval of others. And brothers and sisters, I've struggled with all these things just as you have. I know what it is to strive and to work and to want to be accepted. But my freedom comes when I realize that I am kept by the Lord. But it's not enough just to be kept because God has a plan for us. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. And it says he will make us. Remember the last words of Jesus. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey. The word of God is a transforming word. He doesn't leave us the same. Go through the gospels. Was there one person that Jesus touched that wasn't changed? All of them were changed. All of them were invited into a new kind of life. You see, we can't just add Jesus. We cannot just add God to our life saying, I'm going to live how I want. And then God, you can join me if you want. It doesn't work that way. When God grabs a hold of us, he says, join me. Come with me. My way is the way of life. My way is the way of truth. My way is the way of freedom. My way is the way of healing, of restoration, of peace, of joy, of love. Everything that you long for is found in me. Come with me. I will keep you and I will make you. And making is painful sometimes. This is discipleship. This is why Jesus says God is in the process of making disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is all about transformation of our hearts because <laughs> the problem isn't external, it's internal. Our hearts are broken and full of sin and selfishness and rebellion. And so God wants to change that. And he's going to make us, he's going to make us to be a covenant for the people. Now, this is a prophecy about Jesus. <laughs> I think he's talking about Jesus here. But here's what I want you to know. As a follower of Christ, 
The promises of Isaiah towards Jesus are applied to us because he is our righteousness. It says in John 17 that, God, that Jesus says, God the Father sent me, and so now I send you. Remember what happened to Isaiah? When he came before the holiness of God and he raised his hand, he said, he said send me. He became a participant in the justice that God wanted to bring about in this world, the change that God wanted to be about, bring about in this world. Isaiah became a participant, and Jesus picked 12 disciples. And then in Acts, it was 120, and then 3,000. And today, there are millions and millions of disciples who have said to Jesus, yes, hold my hand, keep me, and make me. And then we too are sent just as Jesus was sent because we serve a sending God who sent his son into this world because he so loved this world. And so God wants to send you to people because he loves them and he wants to be his love through you. Look at what he says, to be a covenant for the people. Today we're going to take communion and we're going to be reminded that we are a covenant people. Jesus made a covenant. It's a relationship it's a relationship, just like I made a covenant with my wife 17 years ago, and this afternoon, there's going to be a covenant made under this tent between two people in marriage. God does that with us, except here's the difference. He's a covenant keeper, even if we're not. Even if we stray or run away, he's still going to be faithful. He's still going to keep it. And so that's why Jesus said, I make this covenant in my blood. It's not dependent on you or your blood or your effort. It's dependent on me. I make the covenant. I make the agreement with you that you will be my people and I will keep you. I will hold you, but I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. I'm not going to let you live the same way. I'm not going to let you do the same things. I'm going to change your hearts. I'm going to change who you are. And through that, I'm going to change this world. Here's how he's going to do it. Through us, a covenant people, a light for the Gentiles. And the, the word Gentile just means people who are far from God. How will they know, Paul says in Romans 10, how will people know who God is if we don't go? God is ascending God, and he wants to send you. You see, you're not here just to be a participant, to be a consumer of a religious service. That would be sad. That would miss the whole point. Jesus came into this world to make disciples. He invited you to follow him so that you could be part of his plan and his purpose of transformation in this world. He starts with you, but through you, you become a light. What does Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? You are the light of the world. <laughs> you are the salt of the world. You see, you have a high calling, a high purpose. If you are baptized and you are part of the family of God and you have received the Holy Spirit and you have believed in your heart in Jesus Christ, then not only are you saved from your sins, but you are a participant in the mission and the purpose of God to bring justice to this world through Jesus Christ. Praise God. Praise God. To open the eyes of the blind, to free captives from prison. And I believe that there might be even some prisoners here today. You feel like that leper. You're trapped in anger and bitterness, division. You've trusted in other things. Here's the good news today. You can be free. Jesus is here through the Holy Spirit, and he is holding out his hand, and all he asks you to do is grab hold of that hand. He wants to touch you. He wants to keep you and make you. And I believe that there are people in your workplace, there are people in your neighborhood, in your schools, who are prisoners, and they will not hear if you do not share 
the good news that Jesus is the servant of the Lord. And he didn't come to condemn, he came to save, and he came to wash feet, he came to do new things in people's hearts and lives, he came to make people whole, to have peace, to have joy and forgiveness. They need to hear that message and they will not hear if you do not share it because God has chosen you. He's chosen me. We are the people that Jesus has chosen to share the good news, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. There's so much fear, so much depression, so much loneliness. How will they know that there's a way out unless we tell them that Jesus saves, that he frees us, he delivers us. And, and how do I know that? Because he freed me. Because I've been in dungeons, I've been in prisons, and I know what God can do. I've seen it in my own heart, and I've seen it in so many other people's. And so many of you here today can stand and give testimony and say, I've been set free. I'm not the same person anymore. I got things in my heart now that I could never achieve on my own that were given to me by God. I can be a blessing now. Because if we, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, understand his plan, we can become beacons of blessing in a world gone crazy. This is what the Lord says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Here's the problem. We like to be the center of attention. We like to be right. And I'm really aware right now where I'm standing here on the stage talking to you and pastors are so tempted by this. We're so tempted to want our own glory. And it's not just pastors, it's all of us. We like the attention. We want people to think well of us. We want glory. But listen to this, God will not share that glory because he alone is glorious. <laughs> he alone is worthy of praise. He alone is worthy of trust. He alone is worthy of our attention. And we are but messengers. Like Isaiah, we are but messengers. And even if no one listens, and Jesus says, people will hate you. They will turn against you. They will, they will do all kinds of evil things against you. But don't worry. <laughs> I am with you. Remember, we are kept. We are kept and we are being made by him. Our, our worth comes from God, not from ourselves. Our righteousness comes from him. And because of that, we are free to praise. We are free to give glory to where it belongs, to the one who deserves it. And so we are not glory seekers. We are glory givers. <laughs> we become giving kind of people. We are not consumers. We are givers. And this is the greatest battle of our generation is we are living in a consumeristic time where we always want for ourselves, but God invites us to a greater glory where instead of wanting and keeping, we give as God has given. And out of the blessing that he gives us, we become pourers out of blessing. We become givers of blessing, and we become givers of glory, and we become worshipers. And in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about worship in Isaiah because the remaining part of Isaiah is all about God's plan of salvation. And that plan of salvation includes making us into worshipers. People who give glory to God. People who turn away from idols and give glory to God. See the former things have taken place in a new thing I declare. Here's what I love about the Christian message. It's not a message where we look back. We're not looking back at what's happened in the past 
All of us have a past. Our country has a past. This world has a past. But we're not past lookers. We're forward lookers. Look at the former things have taken place and a new thing I declare. Here's what Jesus did. He died on the cross and the justice and the love of God were fully revealed on the cross as he hung on that cross and as he was separated from the Father. The love of the Father was revealed to the world but also the fact that Sin must be judged. That sin must be paid for. And so the justice and the love of God perfectly mingled together in the cross. But it did not end at the cross because the resurrection is the way forward. The way forward. And so we are the people of the cross, but we are primarily the people of the resurrection because we understand that life is in front of us, not behind us. We understand that God is doing a new thing, that our history is not what defines us, but it is God who defines us in the things that he promises and the things that he is going to do in us today and tomorrow and into the future. We look forward because new things God declares. That is why we meet on Sundays. Because at the start of the week, as we look forward, we say, we are the resurrection people. We believe Jesus walked out of that grave. He is no longer under the curse of sin and death of the cross. He is free and resurrected and transcendent and glorious. And that glory that Jesus has, he is giving to his people. And so we are resurrection people, made alive and made new. And so we look forward. Before they spring into into being, I announce them. (laughs) I love that. God announces what will be. And so you look at your life today and you say, man, I have so much further to go. (laughs) There's so much wrong in me. But God is looking forward and he's announcing new things in your life. He's announcing new things that are gonna be created in you. And he's announcing new things for us here in the United States. And he's announcing new things for every nation in this world, every people group, every language, every tribe will be made new. It says that God will do this. He will do this. If you have your communion cup, I'm going to invite the musicians to come on up. It's so important for us as covenant people to be reminded because we forget. (laughs) We forget what God has promised and what God has done and what God will do. And communion is this meal where we physically take bread and we're reminded that Jesus came physically into this world and he suffered the the cruel reality of the curse in this world. He understood what that leper experienced. He understands what you're experiencing today because he took sinful humanity upon himself. Even though he did not sin himself, he took it upon himself. He understands the curse. And so his body was broken and he's poured out his blood. And this is what it says. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I, will not, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Some of you today, you need to do business in your heart with God. You need to confess sin. You need to repent of some things. But here's what I want you to notice. When Jesus celebrates this meal, he's not looking back. He's looking forward. I'm going to eat this with you again. Do you see that? He's a forward-looking God. He's a resurrection God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take and eat together.
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take and drink together. Jesus, we sing a new song today, reminded again that we are kept by you and that we are made by you and that we have a purpose and a life with you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the mercy that you've poured out today. And I pray that, Jesus, if there is anyone here who receives you today, that they would know they are made new (laughs) and that we as a people would look forward, that we would be people of blessing. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.